Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Tonight on The Readout. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Hit your wagon to Trump and you end up on the trash heap. The MyPillow guy now says he's broke and can't afford his lawyers anymore. And then you have Kevin McCarthy who groveled at Trump's feet and has next to nothing to show for it except humiliation and no speaker's gavel. And my friend Ali Velshi joins me tonight on Banned Books Week and why he takes a stand every week against the epidemic of book banning in this country. And we begin tonight with the increasingly dangerous rhetoric coming out of the American right. On Thursday, Fox's Greg Gutfield went on the air and said this. We had a war over slavery. We knew slavery was inhumane and immoral, but somehow we couldn't solve slavery peacefully. It was an evil. But one side refused to acknowledge that it was evil because it was too big of an admission for them to make. Doesn't that feel that way now that this defiant refusal to reverse this decline argues against the survival of a country? What does that leave you with? It leaves you with you need to make war to bring peace because you have a side that cannot change because then that means an admission that their beliefs have been corrupt all the time. So in a way, you have to force them to surrender or we could make love, not war. Uh, I tried that once. Oh, we have an election. I had to go to a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) No, elections don't work. We know that. We know they don't work. Just stop for a second and think about what he just told millions of Americans, that this country needs war to bring peace because you have a side that cannot change. You have to force them to surrender. And he couched his little rant in the Civil War, a war in which the people who could not change and whose beliefs were corrupt the whole time shot and killed U.S. troops and declared war on the United States, as well as secession, for the purposes of keeping millions of people in bondage. So what exactly are you suggesting, Greg? Because in addition to civil war, it sure sounds like you're calling for an end to elections. So then what? Are you calling for violence against Democrats until they bend the knee? And what happens next? Do you militarize Democratic states and cities and force the 84 million people who voted for President Biden and the majority of Americans who want women to own their own bodies and gun reform and police reform and to save the climate and let LGBTQ people live their lives? Will that majority have to live under armed occupation? This is the madness that is being broadcast to millions of Americans on one of Fox's most popular shows apparently with the full support of Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch. To be clear, no normal news network would allow that to be said on air. But you can say it on Fox. I should note we reached out to Fox, but we did not receive a response in regard to whether or not this is acceptable. The same day that Greg Gutfield was calling for a new civil war, 
we learned that a man was arrested in Madison, Wisconsin, because he illegally brought a loaded handgun into the Wisconsin Capitol, demanding to see Democratic Governor Tony Evers. Then, after posting bail, he returned to the Capitol with an assault rifle. Fortunately, the governor was not there. Less fortunate is the indigenous justice activist who was shot in the chest last week by a man wearing a Make America Great Again hat during a protest against the reinstallation of a statue honoring a Spanish conquistador in New Mexico. According to the arrest affidavit, the perpetrator was smiling and laughing during an interview with investigators. These are just two recent examples, but in the age of Trump, we have seen a long list of violent attacks. From the anti-Semitic terrorist attack that took place at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, the deadly stabbing of O'Shea Sibley, a black gay man who was murdered for dancing with friends at a New York City gas station, to the deadly massacre at an El Paso Walmart where the gunman said, quote, which the gunman said was, quote, a response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas, mirroring rhetoric that continues to be used by major conservative political figures and media organizations. And of course, there is the assault on our Capitol back on January 6, 2021, when thousands of Trump supporters stormed Congress, assaulted police, and looked to lynch elected officials, including the Speaker of the House and the Vice President of the United States, for the apparent crime of certifying an election that was over, according to the U.S. Constitution. The list just goes on and on and on. And yet, despite all of these events, Republican rhetoric remains authoritarian and violent because that is what their leader does. Well, General Milley, what he did is really treasonous. If you look at what he said to China, uh, he's either stupid or it's treason. But what he said to China should never be allowed. That can never be allowed in our country. If you rob a store, you can fully expect to be shot as you are leaving that store. Shot. We will take on the ultra left wing liars, losers, creeps, perverts and freaks who are devouring the future of this state like a swarm of locusts. We've never seen anything like what's happening in Washington. And I think we have to take it over. We have to take over management of our capital. Nobody has ever seen anything like we're witnessing right now. It is a very sad thing for our country. Uh, it's poisoning the blood of our country. Uh, it's so bad. And people are coming in with disease. Poisoning the blood of our country. No Republicans have taken any meaningful steps to criticize their dear leader or demand that he rein in this dangerous garbage. Those who do, like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger or Mitt Romney, are immediately and quickly rejected by the party that they belong to far longer than Donald Trump did. Joining me now is Livia Troy, former Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence, and Ruth Ben-Ghiat, Professor of History at New York University and author of Strongmen, Mussolini to the President. Thank you both for being here. Olivia, I will start with you. Um, this is not new rhetoric for the far right. What's new is that the Republican Party is in on the game from Donald Trump on down. I want to play for you somebody who used to work for Donald Trump, as did you for a time. His name is Steve Bannon. He was Trump's advisor on his campaign. Um, and then he was a White House advisor. This man worked in the White House. Here he is talking about our attorney general and just keeping the violent rhetoric going. Your day's coming, dude. After January of 2025, 
when we go back over this whole illegitimate regime and we get into the receipts, he should be in prison for the rest of his life. And my God, if we do our job after we win, he will be in prison for the rest of his life. Olivia, the rhetoric now is civil war per Fox and imprisoning the attorney general per Steve Bannon. Your thoughts? Now, look, this is incredibly dangerous across the board. And I want to just be very clear about something. It's not just, uh, you know, people like Steve Bannon who are out there radicalizing Americans every single day on the exterior, right? And then you've got Trump going out there, repeating some of the same rhetoric, by the way, that he used in 2016, right? He then went on to attempt to implement some of these actions that he spoke about on the campaign while doing policy as president. Remember, this is a man who said he wanted to shoot immigrants coming into our country. The migrants Mm -hmm. coming in, he wanted to shoot at them. This is a man who wanted to shoot people during the Black Lives Matter protest. That's not hyperbole. I was in those meetings when he said it, and it made me sick to my stomach. So when they talk about these things externally, these are the things that they plan to carry out. And I just, I will just point to one thing. Just look at the Heritage Foundation's Project 2025, where they're looking at clearing out the government, where there are over 70 organizations that are part of this broad coalition of conservatives. And I say that in quotes because these are more extreme positions that are happening out there. And so when you look at what's happening in this machine of propaganda, and when you look at the potential of what is being planned out, should someone like Trump implement this agenda again, if should he return to office within the government, what's happening here, this is where it gets incredibly dangerous at the intersection of all of this. You know, and Ruth, I, I want to go back for a second to Greg Gutfield. Um, Greg Gutfield, I'm sure, lives in some sort of a penthouse in Manhattan. He's not going to be out there shooting anyone. Um, you know, he'll be on his yacht or whatever. You know, he's like a Tucker Carlson. They are sort of playing at and cosplaying like tough guys. But what he said, if you just like go back and look at what he said, he said elections don't work. What he means is that Republicans can't win elections on the issues they care about. They cannot win an election when they say they would like to ban abortion. Women uh, overwhelmingly say no, even in red states. They can't win elections when it comes to things like gun reform. They have to gerrymander their states to make it so that we can't have gun reform. The majoritarian positions that he wants to now solve by having a civil war and forcing the majority to heal, to bend the knee, to do what he says, women to give birth because he says, and all of us to live the way they say, what he's saying is they are the Confederacy in this scenario. What is? What do you make of the fact that that is allowed to be said? We sure as hell couldn't say it here. I'd be fired so fast. They wouldn't even let me clean my office out. They would just mail my stuff to me. But on Fox, you can say that and everyone else sort of chortles along and no one, no one in management does anything. We couldn't even get a response. Your thoughts? Well, they're saying that because it's part of a, a very, uh, it's now, you know, Trump himself since 2016 has been engaged in a very relentless information war and psychological warfare to change Americans' ideas of violence. That from violence being something repugnant to violence being something that is necessary as a way to solve differences. As for the elections, you know, I think I go beyond. It's not just that they're saying they can't win elections. The end game of election denial is not uh, claiming that this or that election was corrupt. It's that we shouldn't have elections at all, that elections should not be the way we decide things. 
And, and so, you know, violence and uh, getting rid of elections, this is a mentality of coups. And a third of my book is about coups, and we had a coup. And so it's also not just Fox. Uh, Matt Gates showed up at the uh, Iowa State Fair, and everyone's, you know, munching their corn dogs. And then he says, he's with Trump, he's there to support Trump. And he says, only through force will we bring change to Washington, D.C. And I hear that where he's saying, OK, elections don't work in his own way. Uh, we're not going to use reform or legislation. We're going to use violence. So this message is being repeated in the party, in the media uh, and all the other kind of uh, sectors and think tanks that Olivia is mentioning. So this is an overwhelming uh kind of influence and psychological warfare campaign designed to get, uh, create an appetite in Americans for some kind of authoritarian rule. All right. They've, they've, the elections are inefficient, an inefficient way to get what the minority wants. Uh, a very efficient way is just install a dictator. And to that very point, Will Bunch, who's a great op-ed writer in the Philadelphia Inquirer, he wrote the following, and it is about this idea of a red Caesar, America needs to talk about the right's Red Caesar plan for U.S. dictatorship now that Bannon's craziness is here. The phony intellects of Trumpism at Hillsdale College or Claremont, um, this is this institute that they have, are seizing the opportunity to make their case for the Red Caesar to bring about the national rebirth. Ruth, I would like you to talk about that because it, you just mentioned it. it is, this is what your book is about. The idea is that we don't need elections anymore if we just install this red Caesar who will rule by fiat and force the left to heal. Yeah, this is this is the authoritarian playbook. It's terrifying. And and by the way, uh, among the people who said that we need you know war to have peace, that's Mussolini. Uh, and yeah. Mussolini also talked about, you know, people coming over the border, bringing Marxism and disease as did Hitler and Mein Kampf uh, repeatedly and, and other times. So there's so many different directions, from so many different directions, this uh, design to uh, have some kind of strongman figure who will make everything right uh, is converging. And that's why there's an uptick. Uh, that's why Trump is talking so often about violence, because that's an integral part of it. Um, it's it's really it's really uh, disturbing. And as somebody who wrote a book on this and how uh, how democracies are destroyed, it's it's very sad for me as a first generation American to see this happening here. Same. Uh, and Olivia, you know, you worked for a gentleman, uh, Mike Pence, who doesn't even talk about this on the key. He'll talk about it a little bit, but he's running for president almost as if it didn't happen at all. He'll talk about his former uh, co-candidate, et cetera, in, in his campaign. You know, he, he talks about it in a very bland way, but he almost got lynched by these people. Um, just a few of the recent threats against election officials, a guy named Tom, Tim Deaver in December of 2022, two other individuals were indicted in North Carolina on 62 counts of interstate threatening communications and one count of conspiracy to kidnap for sending phony writs of execution to elected officials. Uh, just a little note here. Candidates running for House and Senate offices increased campaign spending on security by more than 500 percent between the 2020 election and the 2022 midterms because of constant threats. We've heard this from people like Adam Kinzinger, et cetera, that people have told him, you can't vote that way. Think of your family. People might kill you. That is the atmosphere in Washington on the Republican side. Where are the Republicans who are willing to say enough? Are there any other than the ones who've left the party? 
Well, that's the thing. The threat is very real. And I think you have a mix of people who behind closed doors are very concerned about it, but are also you know, not interested in living their lives in fear like many of the colleagues that they saw when they did step forward. Uh, they saw the threats against their families. And then you saw members of Congress who were moderate Republicans who decided not to run again because they didn't want to deal with what was going to happen to their families and deal with that stress of it. Now, I'll just say this in the context of everything that we've been talking about in this conversation. Let me be very clear about their the far right agenda. The far right agenda, they claim to be sort of like embracing the Republican values and everything. But I just want to remind people that are center right conservatives, Peter, people that are more moderate like me who are trying to figure out how you navigate in the space, that what they mean is that if you're not in line with them, they're coming after you. So they're coming after the left, but they're also they're coming after most Americans who are not going to go along with their extreme agenda, who don't stand for it, who don't agree with it. You will also be targets of that hate. That is what, why all of this matters so much. That's why we should continue to talk about it. That's why Mike Pence should actually be talking about it, because he is a living example of a longtime conservative that faced it directly. Under his eye, Olivia Troy and Ruth Ben-Ghiat, thank you very much. Up next on The Readout, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, shocking new reporting reveals that Trump put America's nuclear submarine fleet at risk by casually discussing classified information about its tactical capabilities. Stay with us. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Ever heard the old World War II expression, loose lips sink ships? It seems Donald Trump hasn't. New reporting gives us a new look into his cavalier handling of our national secrets. First reported by ABC, it seems that Trump shared information about American nuclear submarines and their capabilities with an Australian billionaire member of Mar-a-Lago, who then shared the information with scores of other people, according to sources familiar with the matter. The businessman, Anthony Pratt, reportedly discussed the submarines with Trump in April of 2021, three months after Trump left office. Sources told ABC, quote, in emails and conversations after meeting with Trump, Pratt described Trump's remarks to at least 45 others, including six journalists, 11 of his company's employees, 10 Australian officials and three former Australian prime ministers. Meanwhile, sources told The New York Times that Trump's loose lips may have endangered the U.S. nuclear fleet. According to The Times, Trump revealed at least two pieces of critical information about the U.S. submarine's ta- 
tactical capabilities, according to the people familiar with the matter. Those included how many nuclear warheads the vessels carried and how close they could get to their Russian counterparts without being detected. Both ABC and The New York Times point out that the disclosure was investigated by special counsel Jack Smith's team in connection with the investigation into Trump's hoarding of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Joining me now is Basil Smeichel, Democratic strategist and director of the public policy program at Hunter College. Dino Badala, host of the Dino Badala Show on Sirius XM. And Tara Setmeyer, senior advisor to the Lincoln Project and former Republican communications director. And Tara, ladies first, I'm going to start with you. You know, there was a time when, you know, the sort of basic Republican brand was pro-national security, pro-national security and anti-USSR. It's flipped now. And Donald Trump is now showing off our nuclear secrets to his friend who's a member of Mar-a-Lago. Your thoughts on why there's so much silence from the former National Security Party on this? Uh, It's outrageous, Joy. The more we hear about how reckless Trump has been with our national secrets, the more infuriating it becomes that the Republican Party has allowed him to get away with this. This is the same party that grilled Hillary Clinton over, you know, phantom emails for years and years and years. And we have proven that Donald Trump has uh, has spoken out of turn about national security secrets more than once. Remember when he had the Russians in the Oval Office, for goodness sakes, and he revealed information about Israel? Um, you know, it's been, and, and Jack Smith has an entire case against him for his reckless uh, handling of national security secrets and documents. So thankfully, at least he was Australian, which is part of our five eyes intelligence apparatus of the five countries that we are friendly with and share intelligence. But this guy's a businessman, not an intelligence right. officer. And this was after he left the presidency. So Republicans are quiet about this because if they said anything, they'd be revealed with, as the hypocrites that they are on this issue. They've lost all credibility as the National Security Party. And it's infuriating for those who know better, who know the implications of someone as reckless and as dangerous as Donald Trump is when it comes to these things. So it really is just craven uh, political cowardice that they don't call Trump out on this because they know that they excused his behavior during his entire presidency and afterwards. You know, and Basil, you know, at some point, you know, I, I guess a lot of us who sort of are freaked out about this on, on a regular basis are waiting for Democrats to essentially assert themselves as the national security party, because at this point, they are. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and listen, you know, Trump uh, made his bones on this kind of behavior, this sort of braggadocious behavior, either outright lying or just, you know, bragging on himself and where I come from. There should be consequences to that. And I uh, I would love for my Democratic friends and colleagues uh, to find ways to continue to hold him accountable. But the one, but one thing that I am concerned about, and I know, you know, Mr. Pratt, we can talk about his wealth relative to, say, the MyPillow guy, who also seems hmm. to have a lot of access to Donald Trump. But what concerns me, and this kind of goes to your earlier segment, I wonder what these individuals around the world of means are doing with that money and that information? Are they moving any pieces on this large chessboard of ours in this world to try to take advantage of what Donald Trump has been consistently leaking to them? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think that I am. But I I am concerned about the ways in which people with a tremendous amount of means in other countries across the globe have access to this man the, the, the loose lips that you talk about, the, the ability or the desire that he has 
to just be able to talk to people uh, uh, without any kind of guardrails and what they do with that information, even if it's sort of below the radar for for most yeah. of the intelligence. Right. I mean, Dean, that's it. Right. He he could, he he you, one wonders if he took these this stuff because he just wants to brag about it. But it's the question of who is he bragging to. Right. And also mm-hmm. who's in the pockets of his son in law who got two billion dollars from the Saudis. That's the challenge. Both Donald Trump and his son in law scream national security risk. And yet this just the silence about it in D.C., well, I have to say, Joy, maybe at some level, this is Trump, a new benefit to joining Mar-a-Lago. You also get national secrets. So not only <laughs> tennis and golf and a pool, I'll give you national secrets of America. Here's the thing that really upsets me. And I say this maybe because I'm a lawyer. Jack Desher, 21-year-old airman, for, for just to show off to his friends, shared yep. national secrets, charged with two counts of espionage, is sitting yep. in a prison cell now awaiting trial. Donald Trump has been charged with 32 counts of espionage, 32 counts of espionage, my friends. I challenge everyone, find another case where someone is charged with 32 counts of espionage yep. and is still out walking free and not in custody. And the reason Pakistan was put in custody, the judge said he was concerned that other countries would make overtures to him and offer him safe haven in return for the secrets. That is Donald Trump to a T. If Donald Trump thinks he's losing 2024 or does lose, yep. he will flee to Russia Putin will give him safe haven in return for our national secrets. We know that's the reality. Trump should be in a prison cell now, awaiting trial like every other American charged with far less in terms of espionage. My pillow guy was invoked, uh, but the word wealth was used in connection with him, which ain't true no more, apparently. Uh, he says he's broke. Uh, I'm going to stay with you for a moment, Dean. <laughs> I know Basil's still giving him credit, but he said that in a phone interview, we've lost everything. Every dime, all of it is gone. I, I just have to get your take on this guy throwing away his pillow empire for Donald Trump and conspiracy theories. Well, I used to be a, pra- a practicing lawyer, and I never got paid in pillows before. So I guess that's what his lawyers are getting. He's like, bags of pillows being sent over. It's like a throw pillows, pillows to sleep on, pillows for beds. Look, this is another example of hit your wagon, the Donald Trump, and this is what you get. You, if you're lawyers, you get disbarred, or you get have to testify against them in court. If you're his buddies like this, you lose your your fortune, if whatever he had, and others get charged with crime. So. This is the story. Yeah. Don't hit your wagon at Donald Trump, folks, yet Jim Jordan and the GOP are doing this this very day. Rick, uh, Rick Wilson said My everything Lincoln Trump Project touches colleague, dies. Rick Wilson. That's right. That's right, Joy. We're on the same page with that. Rick Wilson said that is, that, everything Trump touches dies. <laughs> everything Trump touches dies. My, my, my distinguished panel is staying with me. By the way, uh, let, let me just throw this in before we go to break. He, Donald Trump, claimed that Mar-a-Lago is worth a billion dollars. I love that Palm Beach County is like, now we want taxes at the rate of your $1.5 billion. So literally, even his reputation of Mar-a-Lago dies as well. Okay, my wonderful guests are staying with me because up next, it is another big win for Bidenomics as job growth exceeds expectations again, proving that the best way to boost the economy is not trickle down, but from the bottom up. We'll be right back. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. We have the highest share of working-age Americans in the workforce in 20 years. And it's no accident. It's Bidenomics. We're growing the economy from the middle out, the bottom up, not the top down. President Biden touting yet another month of strong job growth after today's jobs report exceeded all expectations. In September, the U.S. economy added 336,000 jobs. That's more than double what Wall Street economists were predicting and more than 100,000 more than the previous month, while the unemployment rate remains at 3.8 percent. But despite all of this positive economic news, recent polling shows that a majority of Americans actually think the economy is getting worse, not better. The president was asked about that disconnect today. Why do you think most people still don't feel positive or feel good news about the economy? Well, first of all, you just heard the news today, too. They haven't heard it. I think the people, those 300 plus thousand people who got jobs feel better about the economy. You all are not the happiest people in the world. What's your report? And I mean it sincerely. It gets a more little, you get more legs when you're reporting something that's negative. I don't mean, I don't mean you're picking on me. I'm just the nature of things. Back with me, Basil Smichel, Dino Badala, and Tara Setmeyer. Basil, is, is, the president, is, is, the, is the president on to something, or can you explain it? Because look, look, at, this, look at these numbers. This is a Marquette poll. Who would do a better job of handling the economy? Trump, who had a million people die in COVID and had a worse economy, or Biden, who has actually a better economy, only 28% Biden, 52% Trump, both about the same, 9% neither good. What is, what is going on? Yeah, I mean, it's really startling, isn't it? Trump has always been the snake oil salesman, and he's done a really good job of standing in front of the fancy car and say, look, you too can be rich. None of those things have ever really become true. And as we talked about in the last segment, it's all of his followers and supporters that are going to jail, not him. So there is nothing to be learned or gained from being with and siding with Donald Trump. Um, and what's great about what the, this news and, and Joe Biden is that he can actually run in 2024 on just about the same thing he did in 2020, getting the country back to normal, being able to govern appropriately with good policy and good legislation, because that is what has gotten us to this point right here. Um, and so I do think it's incumbent upon the Democrats to do a better job of sort of putting those surrogates out there to be able to continue to make that connection between the jobs and the legislation. It's going to be tough, but he's still got to do it, and the numbers are there. Well, you know, indeed, to the to the point about the snake oil salesman, let me just play this, because I think this is one of the more telling and you're in the you know, you're, you talk to these folks on the radio every day. So I think you'll have a good take on it. Here's Donald Trump literally saying Mexico's going to pay for the wall. They're being like, nah, go ahead. <laughs> play. I promise we're building the wall and Mexico will pay for the wall. Mexico will pay for the wall. And I think they'll end up actually being very happy to do so. Who is going to pay for the wall? Who? When you hear these lunatics back there say, Trump didn't get anything from Mexico. Well, you know, there was no legal mechanism because I said they're going to help fund this wall. But there was no legal mechanism. You know, how do you go to a country and say, by the way, I'm building a wall, hand us a lot of money. 
But what they can do is they gave us soldiers. The soldiers, the value of those soldiers was far greater than any amount of money they would have given us to build the wall. Dean, is the, I mean, the dude did not build a wall. Mexico didn't pay for it. People still give him credit for theirs. There is no wall. And then on the other side, the economy is better under Biden and people like Trump will do better with the economy. Make it make sense. Well, I've got my own Mexican soldier. Don't, didn't you get a Mexican soldier? Donald Trump said Mexico is going to give us soldiers. So but nothing makes sense. First of all, his base doesn't love him for that stuff. There's a bunch of reasons. One of them is, of course, the defender of white supremacy. But when you look at the numbers, you know, Donald Trump's last full month in office, almost 7% unemployment. It's 3.8%. Black unemployment was 10%. It's half of that now. Hispanic unemployment was over 9%. Now it's half of that. We have the 40 months in a row of an unemployment under 4%, the first time in 50 years. But Biden's got to get out there, and Democrats have to get out there and talk about this over and over and over and again. And address inflation and gas prices. That's what I hear from listeners. You know, I have a job, but inflation and gas prices are higher. That's the only thing slowing it down. But Donald Trump was horrible. He got so lucky. He inherited a great economy for President Obama. Remember him? He was a great president. He did nothing more. Joe Biden took a ship that was sinking, righted it, and now we're streaming along beautifully. We have shuffleboard and ice sculptures and buffets, and he doesn't get the credit for it because he's got to get out there more. Uh, you know, Tara, there is a sort of disconnect between reality and what and what and what's still happening. Right. I mean, Jim Jordan is got a 50 50 chance of being the next speaker of the House. This guy is an insurrectionist. Liz Cheney went after him. She's like, if this guy becomes the next speaker, you can never again say that the Republican Party is a good steward of the Constitution. She just went in on him. She's like, he knew what Trump was going to do. He knew and he didn't do anything about it. Oh, and yeah. yet it's like that isn't even happening. People are like, yeah, he could be the speaker. What is going on? Yeah, let's not forget it was Jim Jordan who had the 10-minute phone call with Trump the morning of the insurrection, and then all of a sudden he got amnesia. I don't know what happened. I talked to him all the time. I mean, Jim Jordan has been a chaos agent uh, from the very beginning since he got to Congress. I mean, John Boehner called him a, a legislative terrorist, for goodness sakes. Uh, he has zero credibility as a as a serious legislator or someone who, or someone who could actually lead a caucus. You actually have to be a grown-up to be at the House. You actually have to understand how things work. You have to be able to reach across the aisle and actually uh, get legislation passed. Uh, Kevin McCarthy couldn't do it because he was untrustworthy and he didn't have a spine. He spoke out of both sides of his mouth. So he lost the, the, the trust and confidence of not only his Democratic colleagues, but of his own of his own caucus because of that duplicitousness. Jim Jordan, is this who we're really considering now in, in the Republican Party? Someone we know is record with the Ohio State sexual um, yeah. abuse scandal. Yeah. That's never been really litigated. Um, we know where he stood on the fact that he completely disregarded congressional subpoenas during the January yeah. 6th investigation. He skirted that responsibility. And you think that that person is qualified to hold the speaker's <laughs> gavel? No way. Jim Jordan is a disgrace. And the fact that he even has a chance tells you, and this is why I left the party, and this is why I think yeah. it needs to burn to the ground, because they're, the <laughs> rot inside the party is so corrosive that there is no coming back from this. And Liz Cheney is 100% yeah. correct in her assessment that if someone like Jim Jordan, as despicable as he is, gets the speaker's yeah. gavel, you can say goodbye to any type yeah. of credibility in the House of Representatives anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah, Basil Smichael Jr., Dean Obedala, and Tara Setmeyer, who's came in clutch on vacation. Uh, my sister, thank you very much. I really doubly appreciate you for doing that. Uh, we love that. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Go back to your vacation. Thank y'all. And who in the week is still ahead? But up next, my friend and colleague, my pal, Ali Velshi is here. He's going to join me to talk about our shared love of books and librarians and fighting back against the recent surge in book banning. And before the break, this programming note. Sunday night, MSNBC Films presents Martha's Vineyard versus DeSantis, the latest installment of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. The film tells the story of the migrants that DeSantis paid to be flown to the New England island. Here's a preview. I got into the back room and I immediately said, I need to speak to every individual. And on that first day, I knew what they were told wasn't true. All of the refugees... They were asking, like, when do they start work? Like, where, where am I working tomorrow? They firmly believed they were coming here for housing and a job. You know, they, they entered the country legally, and it was so hard to look them in the eye and say to them, not tomorrow. You know, not tomorrow. Watch Martha's Vineyard versus DeSantis Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC and streaming on Peacock. Words have power, which is why the right has been on a campaign to ban books that not only educate our kids, but challenge their worldviews. But debate and new ideas have been a part of our country since its founding, which is why my, which is what my colleague, Ali Velshi, is covering in the next episode of the Velshi Banned Book Club podcast. The Constitution masterfully distills complex ideas into bullet points, not so dissimilar to the style of some of the poems we've featured on the Velshi Band Book Club. If you believe great writing is characterized by cultural change, then perhaps these are the most formative words ever written. At its core, the current debate over the Constitution is over words. There are two camps, those who believe the document is living and breathing and those who believe that the Constitution should be read precisely as its drafters wrote and intended. Our nation hangs in the balance of these two starkly different interpretations of the very same text. And the great Ali Velshi joins me now. In addition to his podcast, he is the host of Velshi Weekend Mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern. He's also the editor and wrote the introduction to the new book, The Trump Indictments, the 91 criminal counts against the former president of the United States. A very busy man, but I'm so glad you took the time to come hang out with me tonight, Ali. Because um, you know pleasure, I'm a huge friend. super fan. So let's talk about this. Uh, you know, the band book club, which I love. I love that you are doing this. Um, what was the, what was the trigger to it? What was the final straw where you said, I got to do this? This 1619 project. I remember having a remarkable conversation with Nicole Hannah Jones on set about uh, her uh, New York Times magazine article. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm one of, I'm sure, millions of Americans who did not understand the relevance of the date 1619. And my initial thought was, thanks, Nicole Hannah Jones, for giving me another <laughs> data point. Didn't occur to me uh, that this was going to be a problem. And then, of course, I see how much of a problem it became. Uh, and so uh, Eddie Glaude and I had a conversation about it. And, and then we 
decided we're going to start this actual uh, project where we're going to take books that are banned or challenged or removed, and we're going to talk to those authors. And Nicole uh, was my first guest on this thing. And ever since then, we've done all sorts of other things with living authors, with authors who have passed away. You're looking at some of the books that we've done. Uh, we had Margaret Atwood on, who in 1985 wrote The Handmaid's Tale, uh, and people mocked her. They, they, they said, that's not going to happen, and we're not going to live in a theocracy in America where religious you know, uh, norms are going to take over and dictate uh, women's reproductive rights. Hey, guess where we are in 2023? Yeah. And what you just read, what you just played was from the Constitution, which is not actually a banned document. Yeah. But you'll remember a former president of the United States did talk about suspending the Constitution. So I figure, you know what? Apparently, anything that threatens anybody in their lifestyle and the way they want to do things is now ripe for being banned. So we want to talk about that. And the way we think about it, uh, Joy, is that reading is, in fact, a form of resistance. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's so ironic about it is that, you know, we live in a country where if you're 15 or under, you already live in a world that is majority minority, right? Yep. Is majority yep. non-white, that young generation. And yet the kind of books we can put them back up again, we're talking about books about Latino identity, yep. African-American identity, Asian identity, LGBTQ identity. That young group has the highest percentage of people who identify as LGBT or Q. Yep. They're literally trying to stop the actual people who live these identities from knowing about their own pasts. Or or knowing that they're not alone in it. So you named right. all of these different identities, but in some cases they're combined. Uh, yes. There are, you know, gay Hispanic kids, gay black kids. There are kids who experience sexual assault in school. So a lot of these bands are that I don't want my kid who's 12 or 13 or 14 reading about sexual assault. Okay, except that in some cases they may be victims of sexual assault. They feel very lonely. It can lead to depression. We've got very high levels of anxiety and depression amongst young people. Imagine reading in the book someone who identifies with you or with whom you can identify. We've got a couple That's of right. books on the band lists. Uh, Jody Picoult's 19 Minutes, School Shootings. That's a reality that kids face today. Reading books, sure. I, if I'm a parent, I don't want my kid getting terrorized and thinking about school shootings, except they go to school and they get terrorized right. by, by school shootings. So, uh, Someone wise said the other day that until somebody takes Handmaid's Tale or books like this and beats eight children to death in school, you face no threat from them reading books. You face threats from guns in schools. You should worry about that. That's where your energy should be going. Let the kids read. And the thing is, is The Handmaid's Tale, I think, is the perfect example of them actually implementing the thing that they're banning you from knowing about, right? right? They're that, actually exactly trying right. to create a Handmaid's Tale type of world. You know, and I think that, that you know, and we've talked about this before. I think empathy is the thing that they're most trying yes. to get rid of, yes. right? Because the idea is that we will be empathetic towards somebody who is not like us. That's because correct. if I read these books and I'm not in that community, I learn to empathize. I learn that those people yes. are important and have their own sort of world that I ought to know more about. But no amount of empathy is going to make a non-black uh, person black. Uh, empathy is not going to make a straight person queer. Uh, empathy that's is not right. going to make a queer person straight. That, that's what one has to realize, that there's a world around you that you don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a queer uh, kid of color. But imagine if I read about that, I would develop empathy toward them. I would support policies that would be supportive of them. And yet I still won't be them. I will still be exactly who I am in this beautiful right. pluralistic society. So that's exactly right. They're scared of people knowing and empathizing with people whose experiences are are not their own. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the reason that we have to fight back. Uh, yep. Ali Velshi is sticking around. We're not letting him go anywhere because he's going to stick around and play Who Won the Week. And be sure to check out the latest episode of Ali's Band Book Club podcast wherever you get your podcast. We'll be right back. 
Well, friends, we made it to the end of another week, which means it is time to play our favorite game. Ah, yes, who won the week? Back with me is the great Ali Velshi. Ali Velshi, who won the week? So this one I struggled with because it's hard to say that someone who's serving a 10-year sentence in one of the world's most notorious prisons won anything. But Nargis Mohammadi, the Iranian activist, won the week. She was just awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. This is the woman who is serving a, a combination of sentences at the notorious Evan Prison in Tehran. She not only is fighting against the government repression of women, but also also of writers, of critics, of intellectuals. Uh, this movement in Iran has been going on for over a year. The Zan Zindagi Azadi movement, which is led by women for women, for greater freedoms in that country. It's it's a tough movement. It hasn't made a great deal of progress, but it's made a great deal of progress in the hearts and minds of people around the world. And the awarding of the Nobel Peace Prize to Nargis yeah. Mohammadi is proof of that. So to me, she won the week. I'm so glad that you picked her because, you know, at the last minute, I almost changed my Who Won the Week to Nargis Mohammadi. Uh, I'm so glad that you picked her, and I'm glad that we got a chance to give her her flowers. Yeah. God bless her and the movement for Maybe one day we'll be able to do it in, in real in real life, uh, Joy, and Prayerfully. she'll be with us in Absolutely. studio. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to we're going to hope and pray for that. All right. Well, my who won the week uh, that I wound up picking is somebody that is also amazing. Her name is Simone Biles. Simone Biles. Let me just play the clip. She must. So this is a never before done move. No one in gymnastics has ever landed that particular move, which is now named the Simone Two. She is now the sixth all around title, makes her the most decorated gymnast in history. Here she is standing uh, Wednesday's performance. She won all three of the people who medaled were black women, Brazil and two U.S. There they are. Simone Biles won the week. Ali Velshi, thank you. And Ali is back with me. Oh, he's back on MSNBC at 10 p.m. Eastern to host The Last Word. And he will be joined by the great LeVar Burton. Be sure to watch that. And then be sure to watch Velshi weekend mornings from 10 to noon, 10 a.m. to noon on MSNBC. That is tonight's readout. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.